You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Gary Williams coming up and then Jeff Jones, the head coach of Old Dominion, coming up as well. I've always been a big fan of Jeff, um, and he's got his team in the tournament, the third team that he has coached into the tournament. Uh, They play Purdue uh, tomorrow night. Well, Maryland is set. They're going to play Belmont. Uh, I am not as confident about that one as I was on Monday after watching them beat Temple last night. Uh, either are the odds makers, by the way. I think they had Maryland projected to be a six-point favorite. They, they opened up as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. It's down to three-and-a-half, Aaron. Um, and I think that's just a reaction to seeing Belmont play. One interesting thing about the point spread in this game, uh, or the total, I'm sorry, in this game, is it's 147, which is the lowest over-under total of the year for Belmont. Uh, in any game they've played in, and it is the second highest for Maryland in three months. It makes sense. So, uh, you know, I, I, we're going to talk to Gary Williams, and I'm, I'm going to get Gary Williams's scout on Belmont. He'll tell you he watched the game last night. He'll tell you how you go about beating Belmont and, and where Maryland has advantages and disadvantages. Um, but needless to say... They are a very well-coached offensive team with a lot of skill at the at, at almost every spot on the floor. Um, shooters, their best player, Windler, who is their leading scorer, you know, had five points, right. and they won this game going away against Temple last night. Um, their big guys got good touch. Uh, around the rim, yeah, and he came in injured in the game. Yeah, he didn't play against Murray State, which was one of the reasons you probably didn't think he was the team was that great because he was a major factor on that team. I was just going to say that one of the reasons I was confident about Belmont is I had watched them in their conference tournament, and I guess I didn't realize that they were missing their big guy, and I wasn't overly impressed with them when I saw them, but I was impressed last night. This is a team that can really score – um, runs great stuff offensively. The one advantage, and we'll, we'll talk to Gary about this, that I think Maryland will have is I, I think Belmont's going to have a very difficult time you know, stopping Maryland from scoring, and Maryland's struggled to score this year. You know, but I, I, I think now they'll be playing a weaker defensive team than they've faced in a while um, and a team that isn't necessarily familiar with them. Uh, I mean, they're going to scout them. They're going to – but, God, man, the Big Ten had uh, – you know, all of these teams had each other figured out. But challenging first-round game for the Terps tomorrow at 310, um, a game that I could easily see them losing – uh, but I am, you know, I am cautiously optimistic that, you know, Belmont is going to be, you know, high off their first ever tournament win. Uh, short turnaround for them. Maryland's got a big size difference. I think Maryland's going to be able to score more easily than they've been able to score recently. Um, but they're going to have to really defend this team well. We'll talk to Gary Williams. He's coming up shortly. Uh, he'll give you his scout on Belmont and sort of the keys for Maryland uh, to win that uh, game. Um, On the first four overall, I mean, I watched last night because, of course, Maryland's playing the Temple Belmont winner. But but I got to tell you what, since this move to the 68 in 2011, 
these first two nights, which I think the tournament went to, you know, the, the, the they went to 68 in part to create two new television nights yes. that they thought would be big television nights. Hey, the tournament, which used to start on Thursday, now starts on Tuesday. Well, to me, it doesn't really start on Tuesday. <laughs> and it doesn't really continue tonight. It starts Thursday at noon. That's when it starts. These games played in Dayton. And, man, Dayton shows up. They get great crowds for these games, yeah, they don't do. they? Every year. Um, Dayton and, and that particular city in Ohio is a big college basketball city. UD, you know, uh, University of Dayton, has basketball history, and there are a lot of basketball fans in that area, and which is one of the reasons I would assume they play it there uh, every year. Uh, anyway, um, get to Gary here shortly. Get to Jeff Jones after that. A uh, couple of things Redskins related that I wanted to start the show with. First of all, uh, it's Ohio State's Pro Day today. John Kime tweeted out uh, this morning that Jay Gruden is going to be among the Redskins contingent at the Ohio State Pro Day. Uh, obviously, they are there to see a lot of people, but Dwayne Haskins in particular, I would think, because I think it's now becoming a possibility. I wouldn't say a likely Hood, but I think more of a possibility than it was that Dwayne Haskins could fall to 15. It could happen. Um, the, the reports from Field Yates yesterday, I don't know if you all read this, he tweeted out uh, yesterday afternoon um, that the Cardinals met with Kyler Murray yesterday, and he tweeted out, any team acquiring Josh Rosen in a trade would be on the hook for three years, $6.24 million dollars both in cash paid and total cap hits for potential starter valuable backup. Every team should at least make a call to Arizona. And, you know, I read that tweet yesterday. Somebody sent it to me on Twitter, and, and I read it, and I thought that in combination with the news over the weekend that the Giants weren't necessarily high on Dwayne Haskins, maybe the Giants are higher on Josh Rosen. I think the takeaway of the last week anyway which would include, at least from my standpoint, Dwayne Haskins potentially falling a little bit uh, in terms of his draft uh, positioning. You know, this is something I, all season long I was not a big fan of Dwayne Haskins. Cooley did a film breakdown, thinks he's got high bust potential, and maybe what you're starting to see is more teams, you know, watched him in Indianapolis, and now you'll have a pro day, and maybe he'll be elevated after today much higher because he will be very impressive today. Who knows? So, mon so many things happen between now and the draft. But um, I, I think... What we're seeing is unless people are in love with Drew Locke or Daniel Jones, the way to go for the Giants, for potentially the Broncos, uh, looking for a longer-term solution than Joe Flacco, potentially for Miami and even the Redskins, that maybe Josh Rosen will be on their 2019 draft board if you if you sort of presented it or or strategically looked at it that way, maybe he's the next highest quarterback on the board after Kyler, after Kyler Murray. And if he is, then the teams that are thinking about a quarterback are going to be in competition with one another over that quarterback. And my biggest takeaway just after yesterday and the weekend's news is there's just no way that Josh Rosen can be had for a third-round pick. 
Remember we talked about that? People were suggesting that it might only take a third rounder or a second rounder. You know, that only happens if there's one team interested and the team trading them wants to move them. They may want to move them, but if there are more than one, if there's more than one team interested and potentially multiple teams, two, three, four teams interested, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than a third round pick. It's going to take more, I think, than a second round pick to get Josh Rosen. So then if you're in the Redskins position, are you thinking that Josh Rosen is worth number 15 overall? That may be what it would take to get him. And if you don't think he's worth 15 overall, or if someone else offers a first rounder and you don't think he's worth a first rounder, so Josh Rosen's now off the board, now you are hoping that one of the quarterbacks you like drops to 15, or potentially if the guy the guy that you like is Daniel Jones, you might be able to trade back and get him. But even that is just conjecture because the draft board as it relates to quarterbacks between now and the first night of the draft is going to change. Haskins could completely turn the tables on the recent discussion about him with a great pro day today. Drew Locke could could drop because of a bad pro day. Daniel Jones uh, may be elevated. You just never know how these things play out as it relates to the quarterback position. The bottom line with the Redskins from my standpoint is they've got to love a guy. If they don't love a guy, they should be trying to take a great player at 15 that they love a lot more, whether that be a defensive pass rusher, a corner, a wide receiver. They need too much help in too many areas. And if they were to go in that direction, let's just say Josh Rosen went to the Giants in a trade. And Haskin, Locke went, and Locke was the guy they liked. Murray went. Obviously, they like Murray. Uh, and Haskins is sitting there, but they don't like Haskins either, then guess what? They may not add another quarterback in this offseason. That is in play. It wasn't out of play because they paid Case Keenum $3.5 million and barely traded anything for him. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's definitely in play either. There is a chance that we get to training camp, and it's a Case Keenum Colt McCoy battle. And maybe the Redskins take a quarterback, you know, a Ryan Finley in the second round or somebody in the third or fourth round as a developmental guy. That's possible. It's in play that the quarterback in 2019 will be a battle in training camp between Colt McCoy and Case Keenum. Uh, anyway, um, the other thing real quickly about John Kimes tweet is that Jay Gruden's going to be among the Redskins contingent at the Ohio state pro day. Um, I, you know, I, I think if they were in the market for a quarterback last year in the draft, Jay Gruden may have been there as well, but they traded for Alex Smith early. And so all of the quarterback talk was, was over on January 31st, 2018 because of the trade for Alex Smith. But I do think that, um, you know, going back to yesterday's conversation and the report from uh, from EB of the Junkies, I, I think Gruden's involved in the quarterback piece this year. I think that they, and hopefully they're listening to him because I would rather have Jay Gruden's opinion on quarterbacking for his system, or any system for that matter, than the opinion of Bruce Allen, Dan Snyder, and, you know, a couple of other guys in the organization. All right? Uh, Doug, Doug's opinion matters. 
Um, but I think Jay's opinion matters uh, as well. They added uh, Zach Karen yesterday. Um, you probably saw that. He was a guy they added late in, in the year in December when they had all the injuries. Uh, it's a nothing deal. Um, just another guy to have in camp to, to potentially compete for something. Also, the, um, the terms of the DRC uh, deal are out there, and there's no guaranteed money uh, for Dominic uh, rogers Cromartie. So um, as I thought, you know, there, the, this is not what you would call a deal that guarantees that, that he ends up on the roster. This is a, uh, you know, a signing for the Redskins that gives them a chance to bring in a player who's played well at times in the past. He was retired, um, didn't have any other options, uh, no risk for the Redskins you know, to, to, to take a look at him. And potentially he could end up being their slot corner if they don't have a better option. Um, but there's no guaranteed money in the deal for uh, DRC. Uh, also, real quickly, um, we had talked about you know some of the other guys that were out there. Uh, Clay Matthews Jr. and I suggested, somebody had tweeted me saying, what about Clay Matthews Jr.? And I, Jr.? and I said, he's not going to go to a team at this point in his career that he doesn't think will win. And... That happened yesterday. He signed with the Rams, signed a two-year deal to go to a team that is a true contender. Uh, and I think that's what you get with these veterans that were high-priced, that were let go or weren't re-signed. They're going to look for a chance in their final contract, a short-term incentive-laden deal to win. Uh, and, and a place that needs, you know, in, in, in his case, you know, an outside specialty pass rusher. Which is, I think that's you know exactly what perhaps the Rams uh, were looking for. Um, another thing, real quickly before we get to Gary Williams, did you see what Le'Veon Bell said about Ben Roethlisberger? Uh, I saw a number of things, but so so Bell, uh, I guess, was introduced as a Jet yesterday after the four-year, fifty-two and a half million dollar deal, which so many people out there have done a really good job of just you know, outlining um, the math of him not taking the deal the Steelers offered a year ago and then accepting this Jets deal and what a massive mistake it was for him. Well, and uh, also not playing on the franchise tag. And not playing on the franchise tag. Um, so uh, Le'Veon Bell, uh, the, here's the quote yesterday to, I think, Sports Illustrated, actually. He said, Ben Roethlisberger is a great player. Uh, he's a great quarterback. Um, he said, the organization wants to win. Tomlin wants to win. Ben wants to win, but Ben wants to win his way, and that's tough to play with. Ben won a Super Bowl, but he won when he was younger. Now he's at this stage where he tries to control everything, and the team lets him get there. So if I'm mad at a player and I'm not throwing him the ball, if I'm not throwing A.B. the ball and I'm giving Juju Smith-Schuster all the shine, or Jesse James or Vance McDonald or whoever it is, you know consciously you're making your other receiver mad, but you don't care. It's hard to win that way. Uh, Bell said in this interview, that was close quote, Bell said in the interview that Roethlisberger's presence wasn't the only factor in his wanting to leave, but yes, quote, yes, it was a factor, closed quote. Uh, he also said about their relationship that he wishes in hindsight that he, Le'Veon Bell, had been, quote, more open, more genuine, more real in his relationship with his quarterback. So he's taking some of that uh, on his own. Um, 
It's interesting, the Steelers' situation overall. You know, you've got two of, you know, the best players at their position, arguably the two best at their position over the last five years on a team that was at times unstoppable offensively in recent years. And neither one of those guys wanted to play with the quarterback. You know, more than anything else, it really would appear that that's why they're gone. Because the organization sided with Ben and didn't really take, um, you know, Brown or Bell seriously as it related to the relationship with the quarterback. And, you know, in a division where you've got a team on the rise in Cleveland, uh, where you have a Baltimore team that defensively was as good as anybody last year and the year before, although they're changed now defensively, but it's going to be interesting to see what Pittsburgh does. My gut is that the Steelers are still going to be a good team. I just I just think Ben's a great quarterback. I have been a Ben fan. I know not I, it's a debatable thing. A lot of, you know, NFL fans that I've talked to before say, "Ah, Ben's overrated. He had all those weapons." Um, I don't know. Ben to me is a damn good quarterback. He's big, he's strong. It's hard to sack him. He throws, he throws quickly. He I I just think Ben's a great quarterback, you know, and I think he's been that way over the course of his career. We're going to get a chance to see him this year with a different cast of characters, you know, but they still aren't lacking in talent. You still have Juju and, you know, if you think James Conner is what he was last year, then he's still a really good running back. Neither is Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell, but they are both, to your point, very good players. And we're going we're going to get a chance this year to see James Washington, who was their you know their pick yes. a year ago in the 2018 draft that a lot of people liked. Um, they also, I believe, signed Dante Moncrief. Yes, they did. Uh, I've always liked him. I I have. Cooley never liked him. And, and let's not forget they had Jalen Samuels, you know, on that team yep. last year that 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 really you know, started to look good towards the end of the year. A guy that, you know, can can run it and can catch it. Um, yeah, I mean, I... The one weird thing about Ben throughout his career that I've never been able to understand is his home road split. Like, over the past... Actually, I think he got a little better last year, but over the past, like, five years, he's been god-awful on the road. And that makes sense when, you know, you have a dome player or a warm-weather player, but I never quite understood that with Roethlisberger. That's always been the one thing about him that's bugged me. You know, it's not just on the road against New England, you know, or teams that are really good. They, they've over the years, you know, there's one team that they've sort of owned on the road in big spots, the Chiefs. You know, they, they just have, they, they, for whatever reason, have had the Chiefs number, you know, in the postseason and in big regular season games. I don't know. I, I don't expect personally a big, big step back for the Steelers, who were nine six and one last year, they were thirteen and three the year before that. Before they lost that inexplicable game to to Jacksonville, which was a crazy game. Remember Jacksonville, no offense, great defense, and it was a forty five forty two playoff game uh, to Jacksonville uh, when they lost at home. I, I guess I would be surprised if Pittsburgh's not in the hunt to win the AFC North. I really would be without Bell and without Brown, unless there are a whole hell of a lot of other players that are now, you know, that have had the same feelings about Ben, but haven't said anything. But now that it's out in the open, it's going to create some sort of, uh, you know, folding from within uh, situation. I don't see it though, man. I'm not a massive Tomlin fan. Never have been. 
Um, you know, the, the biggest Steeler fan I know, Big Tony, can't stand Tomlin. Um, but those teams are always good football teams. I, I'd be surprised. Anyway, uh, what else did I have before we get to Gary Williams? Uh, Caps won last night. Good win for them. Um, they're back in front in the uh, division, two points ahead of the Islanders who lost last night. And how about what D'Angelo Russell did last night? I don't know if most of you aren't following this. D'Angelo Russell had 27 points by himself in the fourth quarter, ended up with 44 overall to lead the Nets from 25 down to a win over the Kings. That is quite a quarter from one player. 25 points, 27 points in a quarter uh, from D'Angelo Russell. Um, and that was uh, they were down 25 at the end of three came back in fact they 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 became just the fourth team in NBA history or since the shot clock era which was in the mid 50s to overcome a 25 point fourth quarter deficit um to win uh a game um anyway uh that's it let's get to Gary Williams right after we tell you about window nation Window Nation's got a great offer going right now. Buy two windows, get two windows free with no limit. You can buy 10, you get 10 free. And if you buy a house full of windows, you can pay just $69 a month. Harley and Aaron are two of the best entrepreneurs I have ever met. They're smart. They've built an incredible company, the fifth largest window retailer in the United States. They've installed over 475,000 windows in over 85,000 homes. It's a growing company. Uh, They've got over 10,000 positive online reviews. I personally have had Windows installed in my home twice over the last decade by Window Nation. I've had people who have installed, friends of mine who have installed, uh, had Windows installed by Window Nation. It's always worked out for everybody. My wife is a real estate agent. She's had Window Nation uh, install Windows in clients' homes. It's always worked. So I'm asking you to give them a chance, and I'm asking you to do it in a no-risk environment. Why? Because all you got to do is call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com, mention my my name, and you will get a free in-home estimate with a price that will be valid for 60 days. You've got nothing to lose. If you've been thinking about new windows, you've got a couple of drafty windows in a room, you feel like you're losing money through energy, uh, through your energy bills, just call them up. They'll come out, free in-home estimate, and the price they quote you will be good for 60 days. So you'll have two months to make up your mind on that. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Buy two windows, get two window free with no limit. Plus, if you buy a house of windows, you can do it for just $69 a month. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And mention my name and I told you to call. All right, let's bring in Gary Williams, who's been to a few of these tournaments and now has watched a lot of them over the years. Um, and I always like talking to him more than anybody else as we get ready for these tournaments. And, you know, I, I have cited something that you've said, you said to me many, many years ago, probably 10 years ago, about this tournament. And I, I've cited it over and over through the, the years. And, and it's, it's proven out to be so true. And that is you have to be able to score to win six games in a row. You can be a good defensive team that struggles to score and win a couple of games, but you can't win six if you can't 
score. Um, you still believe in that, right? Yeah, I do. I, I think that when you get to the NCAA tournament, especially after the first round, everybody plays good defense. There's a reason they're there, and part of it is their defensive intensity that they show all year. And um, so the teams that figure out ways to score against good defenses usually advance. And a lot of times they're the teams with the best players because good defense breaks down what you try to run offensively and all of a sudden it becomes, you know, being able to score just because the best player has the ball in their hands and they do whatever it takes to score. I think a Zion Williamson is a pretty good example of that. So I, I, I'm, I'm using that as a way to get into, and you've been proven right over the years, um, can Virginia win the whole thing? A team that is efficient offensively but doesn't score a lot of points. Well, I think that's always been a problem for them uh, when they get into the tournament. Uh, they get to play against teams as good as they are defensively, and you know, Virginia plays great defense all year long. They're consistent with it. They're tough to score on. But, you know, you run into that other team. And I don't, I'm not sure Virginia ever has that one guy. And they've had some really good players, uh, you know, over the years. But great individual offensive players, because of the way they run their offensive system, they depend on balance scoring, which is good. And it gets you through the season. And you look at their record regular season, the ACC, it's the last couple of years has been great. But once you get into tournament play and you need that go-to guy in the second half when your offense isn't working, a lot of times Virginia struggles in a one-on-one situations because they just don't play that way like a lot of teams do today with the screen and rolls and the clear outs and things like that. So um, I think it's always tough for Virginia, not saying they can't get to the Final Four, but it's it might be a little tougher the way they play to get to the Final Four. Um, you know, he has – there have been some of his teams that haven't necessarily had, you know, NBA talent. But this particular team, and even last year's team, although they were missing DeAndre Hunter because he got hurt before um, that UMBC game or before the ACC tournament last year, but they've got NBA talent on that team. Hunter's a first-round pick. I think that guy, Ty Jerome, and, and even Kyle Guy, I think both of them have a chance to play in the NBA. Um, as you've watched him and you coached against him too, what makes him so good? And do you agree that he has legitimate talent more so than he used to have? Yeah, I, I think gradually, you know, players coming out of high school look at who wins, and you know, he's going to get better players as he continues as Tony Bennett continues to win. So um, I understand that, and I agree with you. I, I think Guy, you know, there's times you look at Guy when he's really shooting well. He looks as good as J.J. Redick did when he played at Duke. Yep. Um, you know, that would be the comparison I, I'd make with, with those two guys. And, you know, the the, the other players certainly uh, can be NBA players. Nobody thought uh, Malcolm Brundridge would do what he did with Milwaukee. He was NBA Rookie of the Bragdon, Year. Bragdon, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Bragdon, yeah. And, and like, yeah, you know, I, I mean, those guys can play. And once again, the way they play at Virginia sometimes – they don't stand out as much as they would if they played like an up and down style, you know, screen and roll every time down, that type of thing. So they get buried a little bit. But I'm sure the NBA people, they know who the NBA players are. And, you know, especially with the success of some of Tony's guys, those guys are going to get seen regardless of the style of play. 
What's a tougher matchup for Virginia? Um, because I'm looking at their region, and one of the first things I noticed were teams that played in a similar way that they do, like Wisconsin, who they already played this year to a 53-48 game. Um, but at the same time, when they played Carolina on the road, they were able to really slow them down, and they won the game. What's harder for a Virginia-style, Tony Bennett-style team to play, a team like Wisconsin or a team like North Carolina? Well, I would think, uh, you know, not that playing Carolina is easy because uh, they're so good. I mean, they're number one seed right. for a reason. But stylistically. But, but st- style of, of play, uh, Virginia is great at stopping transition right. from the offensive end. and. Carolina really bases a lot of what they do on their ability to score in transition, both after you score and after you miss. So uh, I would think they'd rather go against a team like that than when, I mean, they're two mirror teams. When you look at Wisconsin, uh, the, the way they play, and you know that, that really goes back to Tony's dad when he was the coach at Wisconsin, right. uh, putting that style into play. Then Bo Ryan played the same way. Now they continue to play the same way. So they really have it down, the, the way they like to play. They're not going to change. Wisconsin's not going to change. And Virginia, you know, that's fine. They're, they're used to playing close games and uh, playing at the tempo of the, uh, of the other team. In other words, Virginia's not one of those teams that goes into that game thinking, well, we've got to speed up Wisconsin. We, we've got to, make, we got to press them. We've got to make them get up and down the court and, you know, that type of thing. That, that's not how – uh, Virginia approaches that game. They're going to match their system with Wisconsin's system, and if you don't shoot the ball well, that's what opens you up. In, in low-scoring games, you can't turn it over, and you have to shoot the ball well. And I think that's going to be once again, just like the first game, a very low-scoring game. Some of this conversation will lead into the Maryland conversation here shortly. But you mentioned North Carolina. Um, and maybe it's because I've just watched so much of the Big Ten here this year and not as much of the ACC as I used to watch, but I can't remember, Gary, a team other than maybe some of the Louisville teams from back in the day, the Houston team, the Phi Slamma Jamma teams, um, and I'm sure there are a few others that try to take the ball out of the net off of a, uh, off of a score and push it faster down the court with tempo than this particular Roy Williams Carolina team. Um, I mean, have you seen anybody try to play as fast as they do? Uh, Not currently. I I think, you know, and what you said about watching the Big Ten this year, and then you turn on a Carolina game, (laughs) it's like – you know, what's that? You know, what, what are they doing? You know, what are they trying to do? It's, it's so different than what the Big Ten, the speed the Big Ten for the most part plays at. Uh, and they're, they're, uh, I, we played them in 2009 when they won a national championship. And what they do is they, they get the ball to their point guard after you score, and his job is to take it as far as he can. In other words, to Roy Williams' credit, he keeps it simple. He's going to run people to the three-point line, he's, he's going to run a big to the rim, and he's going to tell the point guard, take it as far as you can. Then if you don't have it, okay, we're going to swing it, get a back screen going, a step out, screen a roll, and try to you know, score off of that if we can. And a lot of times you see them go six, seven minutes where they don't really set up a play. They, they just right. score out of their transition. And you know, teams aren't used to having to sprint back after you score. Most teams relax a little bit when the ball goes through their net. Nowadays, some guys have to look around, make sure people are watching them, the fact that they scored. 
and all of a sudden there's Carolina scoring down the other end. And that that's that's uh, really a strength of Carolina. I think if you look in in the uh, NCAA tournament, they're they're the best running team. Now I haven't seen everybody play, but in terms of running after you score, Carolina's the best in the country. Uh, that 2009 game was was one of the best. That was one of Gravis's best games. He had a triple double oh, yeah. in that game, um, 35 points, and I don't remember what the assists and rebounds were, but it was a triple double. Um, does does Roy uh, run more and play at a at a faster tempo than Dean ever did? I think he uh, got it all from Dean, but he's he's taken it to the next level. Um, I really believe that uh, Carolina did a great job of that, uh, and you know the, the talent that Dean did have, you know Jordan's Perkins and Worthy, for instance, on a team, um, they were really good the, the way they played. But and Carolina just seems now they, they're totally committed. They, they've made the commitment and they're going to play that way, and it's up to you to try to take them out of it. And I, I think he's he's taken it to a different level. All right, a couple things about uh, about the draw um, that I wanted to get into uh, with you on. Um, I, I I didn't really have a problem with the teams that got in versus the teams that didn't. How about Debbie? She wasn't real happy um, with uh, NC State not making it in to the draw. Um, but the one problem I had is Kansas is a four seed in the Midwest region, um, projected based on seeding to make it to the Sweet 16, where they would have literally a home court advantage in Kansas City against the one seed North Carolina. Uh, do, do, did you do you find that brutally unfair? If you're Carolina and you got to play a road game in the Sweet 16 as the one seed, isn't that something that the committee's got to tr- try to figure out how to avoid? Yeah, I think there's a body out there that uh, a group of coaches that feel that Kansas gets, um, I wouldn't say special treatment, but it just seems like they wind up in a pretty good situation each year uh, they're in the tournament. And, you know, to be a number one seed, uh, yeah, Kansas is a four seed, but that's one of those four seeds that, based on tradition, you know, they're a lot better than that, you know, especially playing uh, in a situation where th- those people worship Kansas, uh, and they'll have all the tickets. And it's kind of ironic because it reminds me when you play uh, Carolina in the semifinals of the ACC tournament or the finals that, you know, that that's a Carolina house if it's played in the state of North Carolina. So this might be a little payback uh, for that <laughs> So you won't, you won't mind if Roy and the, and the Heels walk into a road environment. I just 16. want them to see what that feels like one <laughs> yeah, right. time, you know. Um, all right, uh, what about Duke? Um, they're the consensus favorite. Do you think they'll win it? And if they don't, what kind of team beats them? Well, first, yeah, you know, to make it easy, yeah, I think Duke's going to win it. it given their their talent level, uh, given everybody stays healthy, obviously the Williamson thing um, has to has to be he has to be healthy for them to be as good as they can be. Uh, I, I see them uh, winning it, but I also see teams like uh, a Kentucky, um, a Tennessee, maybe coming uh, against them. Uh, from the other side, that they they could be good enough um, 
to, to beat Duke because of their physical play. In other words, can you get Williamson in foul trouble? You, you haven't, I think I saw him with four fouls in one game or something like that. And those, those teams will attack inside. They're, they're not afraid of him blocking shots. He'll block some shots, but they're, 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 those coaches, Calipari, Barnes, for example, they don't care. They'll, they'll just tell their players to go right after him. If he blocks it, he blocks it. That's the way it goes. And, you know, just try to wear him down with fouls or whatever. So I, I think physical teams... Uh, could bother Duke that aren't intimidated um, with a Williamson uh, playing. And uh, Michigan State's another good example. They're 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 not going to back up. I mean, so I, I just look at the coaches in, involved in those situations. Michigan State's I think is a little too banged up to to be the best team this year. But in terms of their intensity level when they play, or you know how hard they go after somebody. Uh, no, nobody's going to do it harder than those guys, and it'll be interesting to see how Duke reacts to that. Duke, Duke's, to me, Duke's weakness this year, if they have a weakness, is their transition defense. When right. Williamson's playing, they're really tough to deal with in the half court because of his shot blocking ability, and it seems like they give the other uh, Williamson gives the other Duke defenders confidence to go out and overplay because if they do get beat, he's back there, you know, playing goalie, and. Uh, you know, but in transition, they've been they they've looked bad at times. To be honest, they they just don't see the ball getting back on defense, and all of a sudden, teams are shooting layups. Uh, the first game at Duke with Carolina, I think Carolina scored sixty six oh, points, sixty three yeah. points in the paint, and a lot of that was transition. They were shooting layups, but that was without Williamson. Obviously, got hurt early in that game, but at the same time, that's I think you know teams. You get in the NCAA tournament, all of a sudden you come up against Duke, you know, the number one seed. What's to lose? You know, you might as well try to run against them and, and see if you you can score on their end. And then I think the other thing you'll see with Duke is teams just packing it in and, and hope Duke makes their first couple threes so they keep taking them. And, you know, their ability to get the ball to the basket is just incredible. So if you can pack it in and maybe they settle for some threes, you might have a chance. You know what's funny about that is they've got a very low, you know, three-point shooting percentage, and people have harped on that as it relates to Duke all year that they are not shooting the three well. But when you watch them, um, Trey Jones can knock down threes. You know, uh, Barrett can knock down threes. Reddish can knock down threes. That guy Jack White, who was supposed to be a great shooter, seems he's lost his confidence, but he's got a great stroke. It's like one of those things where if you sit back like Florida State did and you say, go ahead and shoot threes, don't you think there is a chance that one of these nights Duke's going to make 14 of, of 27 and blow you out of the building doing it? Oh, they, yeah, and Duke made a three to beat Florida State right. that out-of-bounds play. Sure, but, you know, you pick your poison. Yep. I mean, you know, how, how would you – what's your best – I think when you go going against a team like Duke, you, you know, what's your – maybe only chance or best chance to win and that's if they don't shoot well from the yeah. outside probably if there's if there's one thing you got to work you know that they could win a game for you against Duke is if they're having off nights so you gamble a little bit and uh hope it works um I had one other Duke question. You know, the Carolina, that semifinal game last Friday night I thought was just a phenomenal game. And Oh, the point you made about their transition defense, I think sometimes just their defense in general, like Barrett doesn't appear to have much interest uh, in defending um, when he's out there. But there, uh, there are just few teams that can, that can, you know, kill you in transition like Carolina can. And we talked about the Big Ten, but, you know, Michigan State is one of those teams – 
that can, you know, take it out of the net and beat you back down the court. I think that would be a tough matchup for Duke. Yeah, well, and Cassius Winston's a very good point yep. guard. He uh, he's as good as anybody out there, and he he can regulate the the tempo really well for Michigan State. I think Izzo trusts him quite a bit, and you know. The, the, the thing you look at, like who, who's not going to be afraid? You, you got to get over that. All okay, we're playing Duke. They, they get they're the most hyped team in the country every year, not just this year. In terms of, you know, how the TV people look at them, and, and that's all you hear about. And I, I remember when I was coaching against them. That's one of the things you had to overcome. Uh, you know, the fact that, you know, you you see Duke from November right to the NCAA tournament as this special program. The hardest place to play in the country you you hear all that all the time and you know you really have to get into your players minds to make sure they understand that you know it's their five versus our five and for one you're not playing best out of seven you're just playing one game so you know you have a chance to win that game um one more on duke uh, before we get to maryland uh how See, this is what i mean <laughs> uh, i know i know well yeah. you, you know what's you know what's funny and I, I mentioned this the other day um uh and i think I, I had a conversation with scott about it as well you know for all of the talk about paying players and all the conversation about zion when he hurt his knee and the whole thing you know this is really a unique tournament in that we actually have a legitimate star player that people know about before the tournament starts I said to Aaron here last week, can anybody even remember right now who the player of the year was last year? Do you know? Sure, can, I, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. It was Jalen It was Jalen Brunson, you know? Yeah, and, I, I, I would right, have never guessed that. Right, and, so, and for the last five years, for, so for all the people that say these players are the stars, no, the coaches, the programs, the tournament itself is the star, and it's a, it's a great marketing platform for these players. Without it, no one would know who they were. Uh, entering the NBA, um, but, but that... I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And you know, if he if they do away with the one and done rule, I'd, I'd really look at that as a player because if if I go to the NBA and I'm my first year, you know, I just go in like most you know great college players do, and they have an okay year, not not a big deal or anything like that. Zion Williamson goes to Duke. He's probably made a hundred million dollars by going to Duke. No I, I really believe that. And players have to look at that. I mean, that's what college basketball is right now. They're, they're, they're TV packages. Uh, where, where do you see the ACC TV package that comes in with, with their own network uh, next year? It, they're going to market every kid that goes to Carolina, goes to Duke as this star, great kid uh, off the court. You know, they'll be doing all these specials on these kids and, It'll be amazing what happens. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, let's talk about Maryland. Um, they get Belmont uh, tomorrow afternoon. Uh, did you watch Belmont last night? Yeah, I did. I, I wanted to see uh, Fran Dumfries' game. Right. Uh, Fran had coached with me at American U, so we've stayed close over the years. And, you know, really proud of Fran, what he's done with his career. And, you know, coaching at Penn and Temple, they're not, you know, those jobs that are real glamorous or anything like that. And he's always been solid with what he's done so it was great to watch them again yeah uh he's uh he's always been I've I've loved his teams over the years you know with those tough Philadelphia kids <laughs> that, that he's had um but real quickly before we get to just Maryland overall what did you make of Belmont and you know uh, give me a give me a quick scout on them first time I've seen them play um uh, first of all they play hard I, I was, you know, Temple plays hard. Yeah. And they, they were they were in Temple's face. I mean, they they didn't back up. 
you know, they look like some farm boys and things like that playing for Belmont, but they're not. I mean, they're basketball players. Uh, that's, you know, just just looking at Belmont, you hear about all these teams that, you know, win 26 games in, in these conferences, and then you see them play, and you're kind of disappointed. I wasn't disappointed with Belmont at all. Plus, their coach, he's been there forever. He knows what he's doing, and uh, they run a system. Uh, it's, it's a passing system, which is a little different in today's game where they depend on assists to score uh, rather than dribble penetration to score. And they're really tough to cover. If you make a mistake, and I, I was watching Temple, and I think Temple plays pretty good man-to-man defense. Whenever they made a mistake, there was an open shot. Belmont didn't have a great shooting night last night, right. but they, they certainly know how to play. And I was surprised with Belmont's big guy. It looks like he can jump about six inches off the floor, but he's got a tremendous touch off the glass. He was he was making right and left-handed jump hooks high off the glass. In other words, he's, I don't know what he is, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, but he was able to shoot that jump hook really high, which means, you know, like a, a Bruno Fernando, for an example, there are harder shots to block because of the arc uh, of his jump hook. And so, um, and their, their best kid didn't didn't have a big scoring no. last night. Yeah, so. their, their 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 scorer Windler, you yeah. know, had five points, and the big kid that right. you're talking about was supposedly banged up coming in. Yeah, he had a bad ankle supposedly. Yeah, um, I, I was impressed too, and I had watched them against Murray State because I wanted to watch that John ja Morant, you know, t- uh, a week or, right. or so ago. Um, and I thought that they, I, I didn't think that they were that good. And I watched them last night. I'm like, oh my God, because to your point, if you make any mistakes defensively, somebody's going to be open and, and they're going to be knocking down a three or somebody's going to be open for a layup. And, and it's, uh, they, they run real good offense. There's a sense of urgency about them with their passing and their movement that, you know, you look yeah. at that. At the same time, did you? I wasn't impressed with them defensively. Is that a weakness? Yeah, I, I think it would be, especially against Maryland, because of the quickness of Smith and Fernando yeah. uh, up front. I, I think that's a that's really an edge for Maryland. You know, going to that game. Uh, the thing you, you you said about their offense, which is interesting, they do run a pattern offense, and they they have a good set offense, but they score. You know, they they run it to score. They they're First shot, that ball's going up. They don't mess around with the ball or anything like that. They're going to try to get 80 uh, with their offensive tempo. And, uh, you know, I, I think defensively Maryland should be able to take them apart. I really think that Maryland can score against them given the advantage inside with the quickness. And, you know, even the quickness, uh, you, you know, of the Cowans in the backcourt, that, that's, that's different than what they're used to playing against and what they have to practice against. So, I think Maryland has an edge, and obviously, uh, you know, I, I get a kick out of the Maryland fans complaining about not knowing who they're going to play. Well, how about how about Belmont? You yeah. know, like their disadvantage is going into this game. Uh, they were getting on a plane. I was watching uh, Van Pelt last night, and a guy was on the the bus going to the uh, airport yeah, about one a.m. Yeah. to get the uh, you know to get the plane to get down to Jacksonville. So uh, you're going to find a team that. You know, the, the thing you can do in the NCAA tournament, obviously, is play with adrenaline. You, you don't, you know, being tired is not really something that anybody should talk about in the NCAA tournament because it's a chance of a lifetime just to play in that thing. So hopefully the Maryland players are as excited as 
the Belmont players. Well, you know, uh, since they they went to 68 and they've had this first four on the Tuesday and Wednesday night, at least one of the two teams, you know, not the 16s versus 16s, but the other four teams that have played, at least one of those teams has gone on to win a, you know, a first-round game on Thursday or Friday. And my theory was that, you know, there are nerves in this tournament early on, especially in some of these very sterile environments that are very different from what you had competed in during the regular season, um, some of these early afternoon starts, and you get the team that's already played one game that might be a little bit more comfortable going into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Plus, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Thursday afternoon, Jacksonville, how many people outside of the fans from the, the, the schools that are there are going to come to the games? And right. How many of the fans from the other schools are going to get there for the start of, you know, the, the other team's game? Either if you play the first game, you're out getting a beer somewhere because you won or you lost. And, you know, you, you see these tournaments all the time. We've all been to, you know, a ton yeah. of tournaments as spectators and, they fans just go away after their team plays. They they're they're I guess they're basketball fans, but they're not as into it as if it was their team playing. And then there's always wh- whoever is in the arena is going to be rooting for the underdog if they're not if they're not if they're not there for the well, favorite. So we've all seen that, yeah, you know, know. where the, the the building turns, as we like to say, <laughs> you know, it, like you, if you're the favorite and there's a loose ball. And you, you make kind of a, a aggressive play going after the loose ball on the floor and a poor kid on the other team that's the underdog gets squashed. The whole arena goes crazy. You right. know, that's all you need. Right. All right. So on Maryland overall, I mean, we've had conversations in the last couple of months, you know, on the podcast and, and off the podcast and and you know this fan base. I you know, I've lived it as as a fan, uh and uh, as an alum also of of Maryland. It, it can be delusional. It can be a little bit nuts at times. And I think Mark's, you know, with the fan base feeling some heat right now, especially after that Nebraska game, which was frustrating to watch. Um, he's got an opportunity, Gary, though, in, in the next, in, in this weekend to win two games and to play a sweet 16 game in DC um, to, 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 to totally turn the current narrative around. How does he do it? How do they do it? You know what? What are their? What are you looking for that they have? You know that they've got going for them, and what would you like to see improved? Well, what they got going for them, they got a great draw. You know, it just it just sometimes it works out. Sometimes you get a bad draw. Sometimes you get you get a great draw. The other thing is, Maryland fans have to understand it's great to go to the NCAA tournament. In other words, you've had a pretty good year if you go to the NCAA tournament. Now, obviously, the game against uh, Nebraska was disappointing to everybody. It was disappointing to the players. It was disappointing to Mark, you know, I'm sure. But this time of year, you know, teams don't dwell on it. I guarantee you, Maryland was all about the NCAA tournament the day they got back uh, from the Big Ten tournament. And that's the way it goes. Uh, I had had games in um, conference tournaments that I wasn't real proud of, but we were able to come out of it usually and play pretty well. And that that's the whole emphasis is how are you going to play in this game? And not, nothing else matters. I mean, it's a great time of year because you can focus on everything. And I think the players, you know, they, they hear things. And nowadays they see so many things on the Internet about how they played and what they did wrong and all those things. And you have to use that. You have to get that chip going on your shoulder. And that, that was the one thing that I, as Maryland went through the year – 
you know, when something negative was said, they they didn't use that chip like they should have, you know, a lot of times. I mean, that's a great motivator when people tell you, well, you're not really that good. People say good things about you, but you're really not that good. Look how you played the last game. And Maryland should come out flying. And that that's the key for Maryland, I, I think, both halves. If they can just play well, they don't have to play great, but play well at the start of the game, at the start of the second half, I think they'll be okay. And they're talented, and they're they've played over you know their thirty games just like everybody else has. And they have young kids, but they're not young anymore. Once you play thirty games, this this is you know a little different animal when you get into March. We've talked about this before: um, the preference for higher possession games with a talented team versus lower possession games. He prefers clearly to play lower possession half court style games. So with that said, the the one thing that I would love to see if we're going to continue to play the way we play is for Bruno Fernando to be more aggressive and to somehow get more than four or five shot attempts a game. How do you do that? Well, the the one thing Bruno has, I, I think you have to put some things on Bruno, like go to the offensive glass every time somebody else shoots. You know, he's not the guy supposed to be getting back on defense. That's your point guard's responsibility to, to get back most most times uh, to set up your drop-back defense. And I don't see him going to the glass enough, okay? Number two for me would be, yes, he probably will be double-teamed. If he is, there's ways to beat that. Number one, pass out of it to the open three-point shooter. Maryland has good three-point shooters. So if that works, fine. And Bruno's gotten to be a better passer this year. But I think sometimes... He's heard too much about how much he's improved as a passer. You throw the ball into Bruno, here comes a double team. Bruno should be gone sometimes. He should have made his move before the double team gets there. And I, I think those two things, the combination of being a good passer out of the double team and being so quick that you can beat the double team even though a team goes into the game with that plan, there are different ways to score, and I think Bruno has to do that. And the other thing he has to do is when he gets the ball at the free throw line, Make sure you understand that if that guy's off of you, that that's a pretty good look for him. Yes. He's a good shooter from 15 feet. And I've seen him pass that up a couple times in the last couple games where he's got good looks and he passes it up. I think it's more than just a couple of times. There are times when he won't even turn around and face the basket. You know, they, they'll run that through him at the elbow, the, the free throw line extended, and sometimes he doesn't even turn and face the basket. They're not guarding him there. And to your point, he's got a great stroke. We, we've seen yeah. it at the free throw line. I, I think he hurts. I think their offense is hurt when they run it through him in that particular spot if he's not going to be a scoring threat. I agree. I, I mean, I just think, you know, I, you pick up a statute at halftime and he's taken three shots or four shots. Well, that that can't be, you know, because he's got to be the focal point. And then, you know, for Cowens and the other Smith and Mitchell and all those, you know, they, they come in and that are good three-point shooters, if you don't have to play Bruno, you can get out on those guys and take, take that out of their game. And I think that's happened to Maryland uh, lately. And so you've got to shoot the ball. Whether it goes in or not, yeah, you want to make it, but at least be a threat where they have to play you. Your, your point about he, he gets the ball, at, say, between the top of the circle and the foul line, 17 feet, 
they're, guys are five feet off of them, clogging up the middle for anything Cowens wants exactly. to do or anything like that. So everybody's got to do their part. Part of Bruno's responsibility is not just to be a good passer. Okay, great, you're a good passer. Well, you know, your, your, your importance to the team is you're rebounding your block shots, your ability to score inside. You, you've got to figure out a way to do that. I think you made a great point too. Just that sometimes you got to move before the double even gets there on the low post. Yeah. When he's doubled, and I, I also think, and and I'm curious as to what you think. I've, I, I talked about it with Tommy yesterday. Is you know he has been been a better passer this year than last year, but it's not been consistently great. They haven't made teams consistently pay for double teaming uh, Bruno on the post. I. He backs up a lot rather than steps through the trap, the double. Right. H- how do you? How how did you coach that? Well, when the the thing you you got to know where the double's coming from, and then as you you've got to like split that seam of, of the two players that right. want to double you. And I think that's because the 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 player that's playing you, his responsibility usually is to keep you off the baseline if you try to spin baseline. Right. So what's the easiest way to go is to beat that guy coming down. And there, there's two ways teams trap. They they trap, they wait until you dribble, which you know Bruno should destroy because the dribble he should be gone on the dribble by the time the double team if they do it that way, or they come on the pass. And it looks like they're coming on the pass a lot right now. In other words, while the ball's in the air being passed to Bruno, that double team's already started. And that makes it tougher to split, but you can still do it. Plus, he's a good free-throw shooter. Uh, by passing the ball out of the post, he doesn't get to the free-throw line. Right. The only way you get fouled down there is if you make a good, strong move to the basket and you know they foul you. And he will get fouled. So he's got to get to the line ten times in this game. would be great for Bruno. All right. Um... National championship game uh, in 2002 aside, your most memorable win as a tournament coach and your most memorable tournament loss? Uh, the, the win was um, beating Connecticut at Syracuse in the Eastern Regional because both teams were really good. Uh, we had played Connecticut earlier that year. They were, they were young that year, and we beat them in the uh, BB&T tournament in D.C., yeah. And I could see they were going to be really good because Calhoun obviously coaches them up and they were going to get better. And um, when we played them up there, you know, that was kind of Connecticut's home court, um, being a Big East school and everything back then. And, um, you know, eight future NBA players were on the court. Um, just just an incredible tempo to that game. And uh, we never had that thing um, – under control and until we hit two big threes from Juan Dixon and C. Blake. And, you know, that basically won the game for us. But, you know, just a great game. Both teams played lights out. You know, it was just an up-and-down game. It was, it was, I think we scored 90 that game. Yeah, uh, 90 to 82. And, yeah. and it was, uh, you know, Karan Butler went off. But you, you've told yeah, the story. Karan had 26. But Byron Mouton gets reminded of that by the fellows every time they get together. <laughs> um, you've told the story a million times. I won't make you retell it about Blake coming out of the huddle in a key oh, yeah. possession at the end. and He hadn't scored yet. <laughs> no. You know, he, he was having a bad day. And, like, we run this fight. We got Drew Nichols and, and Juan Dixon in the corners. We got Wilcox setting the high screen, and we got Baxter underneath. We're going to score somehow. Blake can just get get the play moving, you know, just just get it moving. 
And Blake grabs my coat on the way out. He said, they're going underneath the screen of Wilcox, and I'm going to be wide open, and I'm going to take it if I'm open. <laughs> and the second buzzer goes off. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything about it. He made it. You know, yeah. to his credit, he made it. Well, you know, he made some big shots. I mean, the, uh, the tournament um, the year before when you lost to Duke for the third time in the ACC tournament, right. he – you know he hadn't scored a lot in that game, and he hit the game tying. You know the the the, the game tying three there uh, before Nate James had the tip in, and then Dixon almost had a you know a half court shot that went in. At yeah, the he buzzer. ribbed that thing from half court. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that UConn game was was phenomenal. What about the most devastating, most memorable loss? I mean, I I know uh, I know what it is for me, but go ahead. Yeah, it, it was the game against Michigan State yeah. in Spokane because once again Vasquez and people should never. When you look at Maryland basketball over the years, you know, going back through lefty, you know, myself, whatever, nobody ever gave to a team any more than what Vasquez gave to that 2009-2010 team because he he brought us up from, you know, we, we didn't have Dino Gregory the first semester, which, you know, still upsets me, but I, I don't want to get into that now. <laughs> has, why he that, might, that might have to do with an athletic director. We won't yeah, go down that it, path. Yeah, it had a lot to do with an athletic director <laughs> and a personal vendetta. Uh, but anyway, uh, what what he did, he, he, he we gradually got better. We won our last seven league games. Yeah. He had an incredible shot against Duke to basically win that game to tie us with Duke for the regular season thing. So we were good. Going going into the uh, NCAA that year, I, I thought we had a shot to get to the Final Four. I really did. So now we win our first game. Now we're playing Michigan State in Spokane. And Michigan State's good. They got Green and, you know, Lucius, some, some pretty good players, you know, on their team like they always do have. And, you know, we get down 15 to second half, and Vasquez just wills us back. I mean, he scored 10 points in the last minute and, you know, five seconds, ten seconds of that game against a good defensive team. And so we finally get ahead. You know, they bring it in with like, I don't know, seven, eight seconds left. And we, Adrian Bowie did a great job of walling them off down the sideline right in front of Izzo. And you can see Izzo trying to call, call timeout, timeout on the tape. Yeah. And, and he has no timeouts left, but the referees chose not to, you know, honor the yeah. Chris Weber type timeout. And so uh, they throw it to the top of the circle. We have a guy, which I won't mention, was just kind of standing there, uh, kind of frozen in the moment, which happens sometimes. Landon Milbourne. And all he had to do was take a step, and that ball was his, or at least a deflection when the game was over. And the kid that the ball was thrown to decided to duck. He didn't want the ball in that Row. situation. Yeah, yeah. And, and nobody ducks. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you throw, you roll a ball to a six-month-old kid, and they'll cross their hands and try to catch it, make a move, you know, with their – it's just instinctive. And so this kid ducks, and here comes Lucius walking in and bombs a three from the top of the circle. Two weeks later, Lucius is out of school. He's thrown out of school. So just <laughs> put a little cherry on the, uh, the whole thing, you know. I mean, have you ever talked to Izzo about that? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I talked to Izzo a couple of days ago, in fact, uh, when they were on their way to the Big Ten tournament. And, uh, you know, he, he reminds me of that. I remind him of the game in the garden when we beat him up there and yeah. some things like that. But he's got me, too, because uh, in 2004. Yeah, Sweet 16. 2003, uh, we missed an open jump shot from the top of the circle like Lucius made to beat us right. um, in that game. And with Steve Blake, who's yeah, you know, that's right. an NBA point guard for 13 years after that. And, you know, we would have gone to the elite um, in, in, in that tournament, too. But, you know, Tom is one of those guys that 
works hard. Uh, his teams play. They reflect his personality, and they get after you every game you play against. They might not always be pretty, but they're always good. You know, the thing about that 2010 season, which was just so much fun, is just the way you got hot at the end of that season. And you had, you know, you had some memorable games down the stretch, not not just the, the, the memorable game, which was the Duke game to win the ACC regular season title, which I'll tell you what, if, if anybody forgets what that building was like, that game's available on YouTube. I don't think I've ever been in a more electric environment for a basketball game than that night against Duke for the for the conference for the, for the regular season title but you know you had that memorable game in Blacksburg where where Gravis yeah. had 41 in double overtime um uh, you know the comeback against Clemson and the 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 Cliff Tucker you know god rest his soul you know game winner against Georgia Tech there were just so many exciting games and the thing Gary about that 2010 tournament is the whole bracket opened up for the Michigan State Maryland winner to make a deep run um, because I think it was Northern Iowa was next and then maybe it was Tennessee and Michigan State ended up in the Final Four. Yeah, um, there was a big upset. Kansas got, I think it was Kansas. That got yeah, Northern the Iowa. Time. Yeah, at the same time we were playing Michigan State, in fact, and so we would have played Northern Iowa and all of a sudden you're in the Elite Eight. And, yeah. you know, you take your chances with that. I mean, that's... That's pretty good, and um, you know you would have played Tennessee to get to the Final Four. Right, the way it worked out, so we yeah. we were as good as Tennessee back then. You know the interesting thing about the two Michigan State tournament losses, the one that you mentioned in two thousand three, you know, which started with the Drew Nicholas game winner against Wilmington, and um, and then uh, you guys uh, beat Xavier, and then ended up losing in the Sweet Sixteen. Is in both of those games you were down like fifteen in the second half and roared back to take the lead and then ended up losing basically at the buzzer and you know in the first one in the sweet 16 game in 2003 I think they got a bucket with like five seconds six seconds left to beat you yeah um you know we had heart you know that, yeah. that's the best way I can describe you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't kill you you know we we might we might not lose but we weren't going to die you know what I mean right. we, we weren't going to die on the court we were going to make it run and I, I knew that the players knew that and we we had that kind of, and I think our fans knew it our, our fans were great back then because I think they really believed in us that we were going to come out on the court and give it everything we had and whatever that was if it was good enough then the fans could help us win that game and I think we all felt a part of each other uh, during that time. You know, quick funny story, and I think uh, he may, he's probably told you this story, but the um, that Michigan State game when you in in two thousand three when you went down seventeen, Van Pelt stopped watching the game. Um, true story. Because I I call him when you when you came back and tied it up. I'm like, can you believe this? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, you're not watching? He goes, no, I, I, I was so angry I turned it off. And then he, he, quick, he quickly turned it on right in time for the Michigan State game winner to beat you. But um, that was uh, – that, that's, yeah. that's a true story. So the next time you talk to him, you got to tell him you well, should have never yeah, turned I, the I game off. I saw him uh, – we were playing golf together one time, and he wasn't hitting it real well. And all of a sudden, Scott was walking along with the other three guys. He decided not to uh, – continue to participate yeah we've, we we, yeah we've seen that before with him yeah. <laughs> he, he, he gets very angry um, all right what about uh oh one more sort of you know going back to memories How, the Michigan State one is the the most painful for for all of us I think um the Corey Lucius uh, shot 
How disappointed were you, though, in the loss to St. John's when you had Steve Francis and and that team? God, people were excited about that team, and you and you run into Ron Artest in the Sweet Sixteen. Well, I was really disappointed because I thought we were good enough uh, to once win again. It. Yeah. You know, you judge your teams, and it's not just the team, the two teams that went to Final Fours. You you look at some other teams, and you said we might have been as good as those teams that went to the Final Fours, and. That Steve Francis team was one of them. Uh, I think the score was 19-18, and Francis had a breakaway, and he jammed it underneath the rim. He didn't even get over the rim, and nobody jumped better than Steve, right. you know, and what happened in that situation. Then I think St. John's ran off 18 or 19 straight points, and that was the game. And Artest and Eric Barkley was another really good player in that team. He played in the NBA several years uh, as a point guard. What had happened to us, the only not, not I never make excuses. What what did happen was Abino Akizi tore his Achilles tendon with right. about a week left in the regular season. And Lonnie Baxter was a freshman, not in the shape that Lonnie Baxter or the player he became. But he came in and he tried as hard as he could, but he wasn't Abino Akizi who went on to play in the NBA for six years. Uh, I thought maybe he could have neutralized uh, our test a little bit, but... We had no answer for our test, just just to be honest in that game. Um, I just had a thought. You know, all the 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 heat from the fan base that Turgeon's taken. I don't even know if he's paying attention to it or not. Um, I think he has a sense of how demanding and the high expectations, and sometimes the the unfair uh, expectations that the Maryland fan base has, but. Have you talked to him just about ever? I'm just curious about you know what we just talked about the 99 loss to St. John's when the fan base all thought that was a Final Four team, and you know the loss to Florida State at home in 2001, the year you ended right. up going to the to the Final Four, and some of the things that you went through before before breaking through and getting to the Final Four in 2001. The the only. The only you know we we see each other once in a while and you know I, I don't I don't coach now you know you know I don't try to coach now you know whatever there, there's you know I, I want the players to get mad I, I want myself to be mad I, I want to play mad uh, at times because I know how hard we tried and you know Mark knows how hard his team works and things like that and, and it's okay when when you when you're when you put a lot of time into something and it doesn't look good and and it's a it's it's a thing you do that's that's very open. You know, everybody can make judgments, and everybody knows the game a little bit at least. And you know, they all have their opinions, so you're going to get that. So you have to use that as a positive somehow. And you know, people that say, "Well, I, I don't listen to it," no, we're human beings. Everybody hears certain things, and so what you try to do is you, you try to come into practice and say, "Okay, it's all about us." You know, it's just us. You know, if they don't like the way, you know, that's fine. But we're going to really show everybody just how good we really are. And I, I've always tried to be like that. And I, I think one of the good things we did as a program, we were able to come back from tough losses. You know, we were always able to come back. And that was the way we basically did it. We just said, okay, they don't think we're any good. And that's our own fans. Okay, we'll show them. And we'd, we'd walk out in the court and, you know, those same fans that were so critical, they'd be really happy when we played well. <laughs> and that, that, that's what you have to do. No, I, I, you know, I'm not saying this because we're sitting here having this conversation, but it's so true about you. There was just nobody in the history of this town as a coach that was better 
when you know the perception was that you were backed into a corner and it just it was it became one of those things that I think we all expected that if you had a bad loss the game before look out the next game or if you're down 15 at halftime look out in the second half and it was just always one of those hallmarks of 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 your teams um, on on this bracket, and we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up with this. Who do you have in the final four? Who do you have winning it? Well, um, the final four. Um, do you? Ha- I caught you off guard. Do you have you? Did, no, have I've you got even, it right here. Have you even filled yeah. out a bracket? Yeah, I have. Okay. Just, uh, you know, I laugh at it. You know, like everybody else. Of as, course. As the tournament goes on, but um, you know, I, I really think that uh, Tennessee is going to be a good tournament team this year. I have them playing Kentucky to get to the uh, Final Four uh, from that side, and, and I, I think uh, Tennessee you... is going to beat Kentucky. So, and if, if they they would play each other in the Final Four, yeah. Okay, so ten... Ooh, t- Tennessee. Tennessee, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got Tennessee beating Virginia, I, I would assume. Yes. And Kentucky. Yes. So I, I think their physical play and Kentucky's Kentucky. I think they're good. And uh, and you yeah. you'd like them in a matchup against Carolina. Yeah, I, I would because uh, they're going to take away Carolina's offensive rebounding, which is a big part of uh, Carolina's uh, success. Their ability to not just get balls, but to tip them back to their guards. They're they're really good at that, and I think uh, they're physical enough to. Uh, keep that from happening but who knows you know but uh, you know you can't pick Carolina what are you going to take the four number one seeds you can't do that <laughs> all right so That's what no about fun. so what about the other side of the bracket the other, the other side of the bracket is um you got Duke. I've got I've got Duke and Florida State believe it or not and I think Duke will beat Florida State but you know that's just um you know um me you know I think Florida State is a scary team when they play they're not very good uh, when they don't play, but I'll say they're Leonard will have them make a you know a five game run this year. He's amazing, isn't he? That he's been there that long. You know, last year was really their first breakthrough year, getting to the Elite Eight. The talent that he's had at times, the 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 unique talent in that it's size, yeah. it's length. Um, but then again, like over the years, you can count on them to lose a game that you, you sort of felt like they should have won in the tournament. But you got him into the Final Four, which would be his first. Yeah, and I think, you know, the guys coach a long time with good teams. And, you know, sometimes it's just your turn. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, you know it, it's, it's an outside pick. But at the same time, I haven't, I've never picked the uh, – Final Four correctly, anyway. So no, nobody has. All right, so who wins it, Duke? Yeah, I think Duke wins it. If, okay. if, if uh, everything goes, you know, Duke has the player Williamson. It's the best player. Best player wins a lot of times. All right. Uh, I always appreciate this. My intention is never to keep you as long as I just kept you, but we just start rambling and, and it ends up this way. And I, I thank you for that. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, it's good for me too. I enjoy talking right. the game. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, thanks. Uh, I don't know how long we just had Gary on because it flies by every time we have him on, Aaron. But uh, I always enjoy the conversations. And, you know, the great thing about Gary, um, you know, is first of all, however old he is, he looks 30 years, 20 years younger, every bit of it. um, And he doesn't forget anything. I mean, he's got such a great memory for 
all of the games he coached. He's got so many friends in coaching. You know, talked to Izzo last week on the way to the Big Ten tournament um, and has a really good feel for this uh, right now. I bet he misses it. I think he does um, a lot uh, coaching uh, the competitor that he is. But uh, I'm glad we got sort of a Belmont scout from him. Um, I'm fearing that game a little bit tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Like I almost feel like the LSU game might it's not that you're playing a better team or a more talented or a, I'm sorry a, a lesser team or a less talented team if you get through to LSU or Yale but man the Belmont style I think Maryland's going to score against but I think they're going to have in Maryland's a good defensive team but it's one of those games you can just see those guys passing it, zipping it around. The open man's wide open. On one possession, they're getting a layup. On the next, they're getting a wide open three. And all of a sudden, you know, it's 62 to 52 with eight minutes to go. And Maryland's calling a timeout to stop the momentum. I, I, I always think, I, unfortunately, I think I always, you know, think the worst case um, when it comes to my favorite teams. But I, they can win this game. They're favored to win it. Not by as many as I thought they would be, but... I mean, you, you should love it. Everyone's on Belmont right now, so you should love the Terps. You know what? I, I haven't even looked at that. Are they? I, I, I think I, Belmont's... I, so. I, have, I think, boy, almost every expert bracket I've seen has Belmont going over. That is true. Almost every single expert out there, um, you know, all of these, you know, pick your, your, your most likely upsets. Belmont over Maryland yep. has been a, a favorite for, for many. Uh, real quick word about Launch Workplaces. Um, launch Workplaces is a fully furnished office setting. All right, They've got a beautiful new space in Bethesda. So if you live in that area, Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Upper Northwest D.C., and you don't want a long commute to work, you may be working from home or you're looking for new office space, check out Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. They've got fully furnished offices, conference rooms. They've got co-working desks. If that's all you need, they have a co-working desk. You can just come in, use uh, their space. They've got high-speed internet. They've got a cafe, complimentary drinks, free parking, which is huge, and 24-7 access. You'll get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces. Now, they've got facilities throughout the area as well. And you can find all of those at launchworkplaces.com. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial. 240-800-6714, 240-800-6714, or launchworkplaces.com. Let's bring in Jeff Jones, the head coach at ODU. Um, they won Conference USA both the regular season and the league's postseason tournament. They beat Western Kentucky in the final. They're a 14 seed in the South region, and they're playing third-seeded Purdue tomorrow night in Hartford. Um, Jeff Jones has always been one of my favorite coaches, and he's going to be coaching against one of my favorites in Matt Painter, who I've always thought um, was very uh, underlooked in the conversation of great coaches in college basketball. Jeff's done it at every level. He's taking his third team to the NCAA tournament. Not many coaches have done that. And Jeff, you know, a lot of us who grew up as ACC fans and live locally here in D.C. have followed your career for decades, you know, going back to those great UVA teams with Ralph Sampson and Jeff Lamp that you played on. 
Um, I, I think you know I've been a fan of yours over over the years, and you've you and I have done a couple of shows together when you haven't had tournaments uh, teams in the tournament. You know, this time of year. <laughs> um, and I wanted to started with uh, start with this before we get to basketball because I know a lot of people have been following this and and wishing the best for you, Jeff. For those of you who don't know, have been uh, has been battling prostate cancer this year, a recurrence of it. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Uh, uh, I'm feeling great. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, just uh, just just trying to deal with all the stuff. You know, the the, the side effects are actually uh, on a day to day basis a lot worse than the the, the actual cancer is. But uh, uh, it's 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 been a great year in a lot of ways. It's been tough with with the health concerns, but I'm feeling good. I'm excited about this opportunity that we have, and uh, you know, can't can't wait to. Uh, get out there tomorrow. Well, we're all wishing you the best on that front. On Sunday night, when the selection show, um, you know, puts Old Dominion up on the board opposite uh, Purdue, you know, in a game in Hartford on Thursday night, what's the process that happens for you? I mean, you've got to put together, you know, a plan for Purdue, and you got people in the in the athletic department, I'm sure, and in the school that they've got to, you know, deal with all the logistics of travel, et cetera. Take us through, you know, the, the few hours, you know, and maybe uh, on Monday after you know where you're going and who you're playing. Well, um, you know, we had a, we had a watch party, and then, uh, uh, most of the team barely made it back. Uh, our, our flights from Frisco, Texas, about to, back to Norfolk on Sunday uh, originally had been canceled. So we had about five different flights where we had, you know, some players and some administrators and some coaches. So we, we roll in, we've got the, the, the watch party. And as soon as our name came up, you know, I, like I'm done with, this, with, watch, with watching the thing on TV, but uh, we, we had to sit there. Immediately after everything ended there, you know, we were going about trying to uh, secure uh, game film, uh, talking to people uh, both in the Big Ten and, and, and uh, who played Purdue uh, in the non-conference. Uh, as you said, the logistics, um, you know, that's something our, our ops guy, Kieran Donahue, uh, you know, was meeting with all the business people. And, you know, you got to figure out tickets and you got to figure out transportation and meals and, uh, you know, all that different stuff. So everybody – already kind of knew ahead of time what their responsibilities were going to be. Uh, you know, we got together the film so that by Monday morning, we actually had a, a, an initial scouting report ready for, for both the staff and then the players when they came in a little bit later that day. So it was a, a busy night, not a whole lot of sleep Sunday night, uh, but uh, that, that enabled us to be very productive, I think, on Monday. Just out of curiosity, are you – uh, do you do you guys record a bunch of games during the course of the year with with potential you know an idea of potential you know somewhere between two and four seeded t- teams late in the year or do do you get sent film on Purdue or, or have you watched Purdue during the course of the year? I know you're a big sports fan and a huge basketball fan. Uh, you know, surprisingly, I I don't watch college basketball very much during during the during the season. season. I, I get enough watching you know watching uh, our our own team so i don't do that very much i i seen glimpses of, of purdue and 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 i 100% concur with your uh evaluation of matt painter i absolutely think he is one of the most underrated coaches the job that that he does at at purdue year in and year out uh you know and obviously they've got terrific players but they're not getting the one and done guys in the 
you know, the, the guys that everybody hears about coming out, out of high school. He, he does a fantastic job. So, uh, you know, I, I knew all of that going in, but being able to see them in a different way and, and watching the film and the breakdowns and, you know, kind of their, their sets and how they're trying to get their guys shots, uh, you know, that really wasn't until, you know, Sunday night and into Monday morning. Is there a team they played uh, during the course of the year that mirrors your style? You know, Purdue in the Big Ten is a little bit different in that they don't mind getting up and down the floor, um, you know, with Carson Edwards uh, leading the way, um, where a lot of Big Ten teams, Maryland's one of them, likes to to play a grinded-out style. I know you're more of a defensive team than they are than you are offensively. Do you look for a comp? Uh, a, a, a Purdue opponent that that compared to your team. You know, I I think you look for that, but you're you're not too worried about that. I mean, you, if you get enough of the film, uh, you know, you you can figure it out. And, and getting back to your question, at American, we used to we 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 used to uh, uh, copy a lot of games during the course of the season. Uh, we 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 don't at, at, at Old Dominion. Uh, the the technology has improved that. Uh, you know, you can download stuff on online. There's services and different things. So it's it's really, literally at your fingertips to be able to to get the film. So we we don't do the the you know the taping of of the games during the regular season maybe the way we did, you know, ten ten years or so ago. Tell us about your team, um, Jeff. I know you've got some some really good senior guards. We do. Um, you know, I think that probably the strength of our team and what everybody notices is uh, Ahmad Caver, who's uh, probably our best all-around player. He's our point guard, second leading scorer at about 16 points a game, uh, at the top of our league in assists, uh, top of our league in assist and turnover ratio, uh, an excellent, excellent defender. He very easily could play at a Power 5 program, a successful Power 5 program, and, and be the starting point guard. Um, uh, B.J. Stiff, son of Brian Stiff, who, who played for me right. at, at Virginia, uh, is our leading scorer, was player of the year in the conference, uh, and is also our, our uh, leading rebounder. Uh, he he uh, you know, has, has had an excellent year. Uh, we really need – B.J. struggled shooting the ball uh, throughout the conference tournament. We really need B.J. to, to be in rhythm and, and to be able to knock down some shots because our basketball team, as, as you've alluded to, yeah, we're 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 pretty daggone good defensively. We rebound the ball. We compete. We're we're offensively challenged. That's a really nice way of saying uh, <laughs> we struggle to score at times. Uh, we're if if we're going to have a chance against Purdue, we've got to make some shots. And it'll be a mod caver. It'll be BJ Stiff. And then the third guy in in, in the backcourt is Xavier Green, who uh, is a sophomore, really really talented kid, six six, very athletic. Uh, just uh, came off of, of being the MVP of the conference tournament. He's got a chance of being really, really good. I mean, he's 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 a guy that has pro talent. Uh, you know, it's it's too early to say whether you know he's he's a legitimate pro prospect, but he's he definitely has that kind of talent. So those three guys all have to play well if we're going to have a chance. Old Dominion beat Syracuse uh, on the road uh, earlier this year. Also beat Virginia Commonwealth. Um, b- back in the early portion of the season, y- you mentioned it, and I, I think it's a-, a funny way to describe it that um, you know that you can be offensively challenged. 
You know, the the debate, and not that you've been following it, but I'm just curious from a coach's perspective, when it comes to Maryland this year, they, they've, they've struggled to score at times too, and they've preferred to play a, a, a more, you know, a, a lower possession game, a slower style. And and I've always said, man, when you're struggling in the half court, you got to figure out a way, a way to not face set defenses. It's just easier if you can rebound yeah. and get it out and run. Is that something you uh, think about as a as a lower scoring team, um, offensively challenged? And in, in, in general, what's your theory just on? You know, there are a lot of teams as you look at the tournament that that, that struggle to score, that will go through scoring droughts at times. How do you deal with that? Well, number one, we, we try to make sure that uh, defensively and in all the areas that we can have maybe more control over that we're really, really good, taking care of the ball, rebounding the basketball, uh, you know, 50-50 balls and, and, and getting more possessions. I think people would be shocked because, you know, we're, we're, we only average 66 points a game. And, and there are, there are uh, rival recruiters that, you know, will look, try to take some of these numbers uh, and – Say, oh, they're walking the ball up the floor. I challenge you, find find a possession where we walk the ball down the floor. It doesn't happen. Every chance we get, we're running. Uh, we just don't score at a, at a high level. So, but but you're exactly right. For us, we don't want to play in the half court level every time down. Now you you've got to be able to execute and, and, and hopefully you know do a good job. But uh, when when you're forced into those situations, but for us, whether it's off a steal or a rebound or you know, whatever the situation may be, every opportunity we can, we want to try to get into the open court. It's just that we want to make sure we put so much emphasis on our defensive transition. We want to make sure that our opponents have to play in the half court, have to face a set defense, uh, because, you know, we, we feel like we can be, you know, that much more effective if we do that. It's a lot harder guarding a team in, in the open court than it is if you, you get your defense back and what we call build the wall. But every chance we get, we want to run because it's it's just it's just harder playing against a set defense, and and when you struggle to score anyway, you know even if you get four, six, eight, ten points uh, in unsettled situations or open court situations, that that can be huge in, yeah. in the amount of uh, tight games that we play. Yeah. Uh, you know, we I, somebody told me earlier today. I think we were what, seven, seven and three in games that were decided by five points or less, something, something like that. So we've played a lot of close games, and we've been successful in those games. Um, real quickly on, on Purdue, um, you know, as a Maryland guy, I now, you know, watch a lot of big 10. I'm not happy about it. I miss the days of the ACC. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a shame. That still sounds, that just doesn't sound right. It doesn't but, sound right. Yeah. And I think a lot of, uh, of Maryland alum and, and Maryland fans feel the same way, but I've seen a lot of Purdue this year. You tell me, what are the challenges with them? Well, as, as we already talked about, they're, they're extremely well coached. Yes. You know, offensively, they come at you hard. They really shoot the three. They're very efficient. They spread you out. They force you to guard different actions, but they, they really shoot well, and they shoot a lot of threes. Carson Edwards is, is obviously the, the headliner for them, averaging 23 a game, uh, has uh, virtually, uh, I mean, a green light. I mean, he will yep. shoot it at any time and from anywhere. But they've got guys like Ryan Klein, who's their two guard, and Eifert, who's their their four man, and Harm, who is their seven foot two center. Uh, you know that that are talented. No, Joe Eastern 
is a six six two hundred twenty pounds yeah athlete kind of yeah and and you know he doesn't shoot jump shots but he just you know and and they've got just different guys off the bench some some young talented kids and so you know you you've got to account for all of them but Edwards is is the guy that's the the big scorer and the one that you you definitely have to account for it at, at all times. You know, for uh, much of the season in the Big Ten, he looked like he was headed towards the Big Ten Player of the Year. But, man, he had some horrific shooting performances. And you're right. I mean, he's got a green light to shoot it whenever he wants. He, he's had, I think he's had multiple games of, you know, between 25 and 30 attempts you know, uh, from the field in which he's, you know, in some of these games, he, he's not shot even 20% from the floor, but he's capable, isn't he? He is. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys, you know, he could be in the midst of having a bad shooting game and then all of a sudden he, he gets yep. it going. And, and and because of the shots that he takes sometimes and because they run such good stuff, when he gets it going, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to slow him down. So, the only thing I know of is just to make sure that we're consistent, that we're there on the catch, and and make him work. Uh, and, you know, and, and he he starts getting in, you know, one of those stretches where he's making everything. Uh, I'm I'm not sure there's a whole lot that we can do about it. All right, uh, I'll let you run here in two minutes. Just to, you you've been in the tournaments, you know, many times as a player, as a coach at Virginia, you know, at AU twice. Um, and now taking a, a third team as a coach to the tournament. What's what's your most memorable tournament moment as a player or coach? Uh, you know, it, it um, you know certainly be, beating Kansas. Kansas was the the, the, right. the top seed uh, when we beat them in Kansas City uh, when I was at Virginia in '95. I think it was that was a great memory. Um, but but. Ranking up there, there's, there, you know, I, I don't know about best or whatever, but right there would be finally breaking the threshold, uh, crossing the threshold, and getting AU uh, in, into the tournament for the first time in school history. We had, we'd been to three championship games before that. We'd had some really good, uh, really good seasons, and uh, you know, kind of kind of lost it at the buzzer in the last, you know, last few seconds. That that first year at American University was really really uh, you know special. It was a special group, uh, and uh, it was just such a huge relief to to finally you know get there. And uh, there were some very happy people uh, uh, over there on on, on Wisconsin and, and uh, Mass Ave. Mass Ave, yeah, yeah. Um, that uh, you know that that had dreamt of that moment. So that was really really special. I'll tell you what, that 95 Virginia team that you had that beat Kansas and then you lost to Nolan Richardson in Arkansas in that and that uh, Elite Eight game um, was was such a, a fun team to watch uh, with, you know, Corey Alexander and John Crotty and Junior Burrow. Um, you know, he's still in the area, I think. I don't know where – or he was for many years helping kids out in the area. But that was – those were some good teams and some well-coached teams, man, at UVA. And I wish you the best with everything, Coach, and uh, especially tomorrow night against Purdue. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of us that have followed your career will be watching that one closely. Best of luck and thanks so much for the time. Thanks. I, I, I appreciate it. And who, who knows, maybe uh... – uh, next time I'm up in D.C., you and I might bump into one another at Wagshaw's. Exactly. We'll that, do... that, that happened a couple, a couple times. <laughs> I think that uh, did. Well, it was right down the street from AU. So I, I look forward to that. All right, take care. Good luck tomorrow night.
All right, thank you. Jeff Jones, uh, everybody. Um, he's such a good guy. Such a good guy, such an excellent coach, and you know, just pray for him because he has uh, been ill and he's been battling through this all year long. And uh, you know, people that have watched a lot of old Dominion games say you would never know it, um, but you know, you, he mentioned it there at the very beginning that sometimes the side effects of medication, etc., are are worse than than the cancer uh, itself. But um, he is a guy to root for. He has been such a good college basketball coach over a long period of time and did a great job at Virginia in his first job when he replaced Terry Holland way back in the, in the day. And really, you know what, Virginia, they've become this powerhouse here under Tony Bennett. It's really amazing what Virginia's become here in the last five years, like a perennial top five team, you know, top 10, top five team haven't broken through in the tournament. Obviously, maybe this is their year. I picked them again for the second straight year to win the whole thing. But, you know, Virginia has always been in the ACC one of those programs that before Tony Bennett got there, you wondered why they weren't more successful. And you had to go back to the Jeff Jones era in the 90s to find the last time they had had, you know, consistent success. Um, and, uh, and Tony Bennett's now got that thing going. But I, I'm rooting for Jeff Jones. I do think that that is one of the real good coaching matchups in the first round of this tournament. Um, uh, interesting, and I was glad to hear him say the same thing. I've, I've said that about Matt Painter for years. I think he's just been so underrated at Purdue. And I think some of those teams, Aaron, remember the Robbie Hummel teams that he had? Of course. And Hummel had the torn ACL that one year. I think if Hummel had been healthy throughout his career, I think Purdue may have made a Final Four there, and and more people would know Matt Painter because of it. Um, but uh, I, you know, you, you heard Jeff Jones; he he feels the same way uh, about it. Um, last thing before we go, I had no idea that the Major League Baseball season opened up. Yeah, last night I hope I woke up this morning and the Mariners are playing, you know, Oakland in in Japan. That was an actual regular season game. That was a regular season game. The Mariners are in first place in the entire uh, baseball. Okay. Uh, why do they? Why so much earlier than opening day? Yeah, it's strange. Uh, they used to do this fairly about a decade but ago. But not, started, a, week, not no, a week. No, it wasn't before, a week. Right? It was usually a few days before. I think actually there were some complaints about that that teams just couldn't quite get you know get back into shape. So that's why so early. But the weird thing is they didn't really pu- like. I'm a big baseball guy. They did not publicize this. I, I knew it was coming up, but I, it wasn't until yesterday or the day before, really, that I realized, oh, this is happening this morning. Yeah, right. I mean, they did. There wasn't a lot of publicity no. about this. No. I mean, I, I guess if you're, you know, you are a baseball guy, and even you said that. Um. T- anyway, uh, yeah, the Mariners won the first baseball game of the year, and now we got to wait. I guess we're going to wait a, a week and a few days for an actual real opening day with everybody playing, or is there another game in Asia? They, I think there's a second game tomorrow. Oh, a second game tomorrow. Between these two teams. And then, yeah, uh, next Thursday is Nats opener. Okay. Uh, tonight, uh, St. John's, who I have winning two games in my bracket, plays Arizona State. And they are getting a point and a half. And I like St. John's tonight as a strong lean. I will have my official smell test for Thursday, and then I'll have another one for Friday, uh, and I'll do it over the weekend as well. The smell test will be back here for the NCAA tournament, but I would give out St. John's plus the point and a half tonight as a strong lean. Not an official smell test pick, all right? But I 
personally will have St. John's tonight plus the point and a half. Tomorrow's show smell test, uh, you know, Maryland Belmont preview, Van Pelt, Cooley's going to be on the show tomorrow um, as well because we'll do some Redskins tomorrow and we're, we're going to try to get the show out earlier tomorrow so that you can try to consume it before the whole basketball day starts. Have a great day. Back tomorrow.